you'll turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Judges, chapter 6. We're going to read verses 33 to 40. If there are blue pew Bibles under the chair, that's on page 206 in those Bibles, if you want to follow along. And I know this is not your typical Easter Sunday passage, but it will. We will better understand the cross and resurrection, I promise, when we're done. Um, I'm not just being a grumpy Presbyterian. I do have a plan. (laughs) Because the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, and the book of Judges in particular, is one unified story that is preparing and getting you ready to see what Jesus would do. And so there is an immense beautiful majesty of style, the way the Old Testament connects to the New. And so, let's read Judges chapter 6, about Gideon and his famous fleece, verses 33 to 40. This is God's word. It says, Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. And he sent, out mess- sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please, let me test just once more with the fleece. Let, please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. This is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and, and communicated to us in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I ask as we look at this short passage, um, Show us what it looks like to say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven as we see Jesus. Help us to not be unmoved as we see what you did in history, first through Gideon and then through Jesus for us. And we ask, Spirit, that you would come and help us decrease and Jesus increase. Um, May the resurrection lead us with greater joy as when we leave here. Because this is true. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been around the church for any length of time and have been in Sunday school, when it comes to this passage about Gideon and his famous fleece, usually the question that's asked is, how do we get in on that, right? How do we go about fleecing God's will to figure out what to do? Because who would not want such a clear, booming signal, not only that God is real, but that he has a specific task in mind and that I should do? To fleece or not to fleece? That's the question. And, right? and so, should we imitate Gideon? Should, should a Hope Church send you all home with complimentary pieces of wool to set out in your yard tomorrow? 
And uh, these are good questions, right? I mean, I'm getting ready. I was reflecting on what it was like to be in my 20s, you know, those moments where you're making these huge life-altering decisions. And, you know, we, ha- we now have words to describe these huge life-altering decisions that continue out throughout life. We now have quarter-life crises and midlife crises, and we're just trying to figure out what is the right thing to do. And so Christians want to know, right, God, how do I know that specific person is the one I should spend the rest of my life with? So people try. God, I'm going to put out a fleece. If she looks at me, she must be the one. (laughs) We get really weird with this. This is not how Bethany and I (laughs) met, just to be clear. Um, We do with our careers. I mean, should I stay in this career or should I move on? Should I switch jobs? If my day is good today, then I'll I'll carry on. But if uh, my boss makes my day miserable, then clearly that's a sign from you, God, that I need to switch careers. Um, Maybe you're setting out a fleece now, um, trying to figure out whether or not Jesus is something you should invest more time and energy in, and the fleece is a short sermon. The the point is, we all are anxious in various ways, and it comes out in silly ways and serious ways, to figure out what is God's will, and how do I know it if I can't see him? You go to Amazon, and search in quotes God's will, you will find at least 3,000 results. Um, you go and search God's holiness, his character, uh, 136, which means we're much more interested in, about, in being busy and figuring out God's will for us than figuring out what God is like. Um, but I, I think this passage... And I'm going to show you here, there's a better question to ask about the fleece. We, there is a fleece for Christians, and I'm going to convince you that it's not what we're talking about. Uh, it's something else. The better question we should be asking, which ties into Easter, is what kind of sign will get a bunch of scared, uh, weak, unbelieving people to take a risk of faith to follow God's chosen deliverer, like it, Gideon? Because right. in our text... We're coming into the middle of the story. Israel's been beaten down by their Midianite neighbors. They are, uh, well, the Midianite neighbors have camels. It's like an ancient tank in battle. And so Israel's being bullied. Their food is being taken. They're hungry. And God raises up Gideon, the weakest of, of the weakest tribe and of the, the weakest in his family, meaning he doesn't look impressive. Nor does he see himself as impressive. He's hiding to go up and lead a group of soldiers against a bigger and better armed military. I mean, if you were going with a pitchfork, a farming instrument, or even a sword, really, to to go face down an army of camels, which can weigh up to a ton and can run 40 miles an hour, and they have the height advantage, are you going to show up for battle? How do I know God has really talked to Gideon, and Gideon just didn't have this mystical experience in a cave by himself, hallucinating? Would you take the risk of faith? Right. How do I know God is really telling me what to do to follow Gideon? That's what the Israelites would be asking. And whereas the modern dilemma is we're Christians and we're, we're on the other side of the cross, what kind of sign will unify and mobilize the weak, the afraid, to take the risk of faith and commit to Jesus in his way, no matter what it costs, right. to do whatever he commands? How do I know God is really telling me what to do to follow Jesus in the Bible. Right. And so that's, that's the point of what we're going to get into, is we do need a fleece. We do need a clear sign. God graciously gives us a clear sign to know how we can trust that this Jesus is from heaven 
and he's speaking truth and he's real. And so let's look at the fleece. The text is going to help give us pictures of what, that, what I'm talking about here. So because many of you haven't been with us, this is a pretty famous story, but uh, we're right in the middle of it. And as I said, Israel is an oppressed people group. Um, some of it's their own fault. They have completely forsaken the God who loved them, the God who, uh, the God who rescued them from Egypt. And what raised up were these cruel Midianite people and the people of the east who would take their camels and steal all the food from Israel. And so God's people are being crushed into poverty and starvation by their, their stronger, bullish neighbors. And so you can picture these massive 2,000-pound camels that can consume up to 30 to 50 gallons of water at a time and they still need to eat. They come on the land like a plague of locusts. And it's, uh, if you're an Israelite, you're hungry, you're starving, you're miserable, wondering if God sees you or cares. And so what happens is Israelite, are, they're hiding in the caves and God's first response to their misery is to send a sermon, <laughs> sends them a prophet and it's much like uh, communicating truth to somebody who has an addiction. Right? It's not just enough to rescue you from your circumstances. You, you need truth to admit who you are and how you got there. Right? Their biggest problem was unbelief. And then the second response after the sermon is to graciously send a rescuer. And he picks Gideon. And that's where we are. When you first meet Gideon, he, he doesn't appear that promising. He's hiding in a wine press, uh, harvesting his wheat. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, The Lord is with you, almighty man of courage. <laughs> He's not being mocked. God is saying, This is what you will be. And Gideon's uh, intelligent response he's a Bible student. He, he heard the stories as a kid. He says, How can the Lord be with us if we're suffering? Where's the God who did these wonderful things long ago, who does signs and wonders? Where's the God who loves us and fights us? Where's the God of Moses? And God says to Gideon, essentially, and this is where we're, this is going to be helpful and important, Gideon, you will be the new Moses figure. You're going to do the same things Moses did. I mean, Bible, Bible nerds, scholars who spend all their time comparing and looking at these things, they've noticed up to 20 parallels between Moses and Gideon. So some you can check out in your free time. And so in our passage now, the time for Gideon it has come to act, to, to lead the people to war because the Midianites have come. They've camped. You can see the army. The camels are laid out in the valley. All you can see from eye to eye is, is camel wool. And so what happens in verse 34? The Spirit of the Lord comes and puts Gideon on like clothing, which is a great image to picture of, of what we see. God's spirit, his, the spirit of his presence and power, puts Gideon on like a suit of armor. Right, the same word, it says it, it, he was clothed in the English, but the same word is described later in, in the scriptures of God putting on armor. Right? So all you see is Gideon, right, that the, but the Holy Spirit is underneath there. The Holy Spirit is wearing Gideon clothes. You can put it that way. Right? And so... The idea is, this is a very clear marker to see that what happens next is the Holy Spirit. There's more to Gideon than meets the eye. And Gideon blows a trumpet, the, uh, his family, the Abiezrites, join him, and then he sends out messengers, and four out of the 12 tribes of Israel show up to follow Gideon into battle. And this really is the point. You need the context to understand why Gideon puts out a fleece, to know what to do. 
Because these fleece, the, the, the fleece signs are for Gideon, but they're not only for Gideon, they're for all the people. They're public signs. Gideon already knows what to do. Go save Israel. Go be the leader. Go be the new Moses. But God's people have been summoned by Gideon when Gideon makes this famous request. He is surrounded by his army. This fleece is a public sign for Gideon and the people. And so some of you have grown up in the church. You might have heard that, uh, that Gideon is just... Well, he's scared that, that uh, what he's doing here is not a good thing. And so I have a commentary by a guy named Daniel Block, and his argument that everything Gideon does next is just bad. You should never fleece. You should never ask for a sign. Uh, Gideon is not acting in faith. He's acting in unbelief. He's just dragging his feet to obey God like every other person. Um, you're going to see I don't agree with that, but others would say, look at how gracious God is. Gideon's being cautious, which is what you would want. He wants assurance that he's doing the right thing. So we should thank God for his willingness to build up our courage and our confidence to give us a sign, to bolster and strengthen our weak faith. And, and I think that's really what the, the fleece is for, is to give God's people confidence that God really is with Gideon. All right, so put it this way. Put yourself in Israelite shoes. You're part of the tribe of Zebulun. You're starving, you're sick of getting uh, your tail kicked by the Midianites, and Gideon shows up and said, God told me to save you, you have to follow me. I mean, that had to be some kind of message that he was sending. God has appointed me to rescue you. Come, we're going to battle. I mean, my first response is, who is Gideon, and why should I risk my neck for him? Why should I go to battle to follow this guy? I mean, it's no different than our friends and family outside the community of faith. Why should I care what Jesus says? I want proof. I want empirical evidence. And so what Gideon does is he asks God to give public signs for these people so that they can have the confidence that he does, that God is with them. And so that's why I'm going to argue Gideon, this fleece is a good thing. He's, this is an act of faith. I mean, he has, one, been clothed by the Spirit. He makes this request for a sign. He's wearing... The Spirit is wearing Gideon clothes. Um, the New Testament praises Gideon's faith here. You can go to Hebrews 11. Gideon is one of those among whom the world is not worthy because of how great his faith was in following God here. Some of the highest praise, that by faith he was made strong in weakness and became mighty in war. And what, what really ties all this together is, is the comparison to Moses, and this is what will help us get to Jesus here. Because God, look, go back to the story of Moses in Exodus. God told Moses what to do. You are the one that I'm going to rescue my people from Egypt and slavery and misery. And Moses had this burning bush experience to remind, to show him visibly that God was there. And God empowered him to do it. And one of the things that happened then is God gave Moses two public signs to show the people of Israel that Moses wasn't just a rogue, crazy dude hearing things in the wilderness. Right. How do we know, Moses, you know what you're talking about? And the two public signs were the ser- a sign of a serpent and a sign of leprosy. And the, the serpents, 
sign of the servant. And Moses had a staff. He was told to throw it on the ground, and it immediately becomes a snake. And, uh, and then he's told to pick it up again by the tail, and it immediately becomes a staff again. It's amazing. It's a display of supernatural power. And then the, the second sign is one of leprosy. He puts his hand in his cloak, pulls it out. It's unclean. It's white like snow. It's, it's diseased. And then he puts it back in his cloak, and he pulls it out again, and it's clean, like flesh, brand new, smooth as a baby's skin. And the point of those signs were not just for Moses. They were for God's people to convince unbelieving Israel to listen to God's word that came through Moses. So they would trust him, trust the Lord through Moses. And what's fascinating about these signs is they have a deep symbolic meaning. It's going to help you understand Gideon and then Jesus. Because the first sign that that God's people got was a sign of what they deserve. And the second sign is a a picture of what they desperately need. If we could put it this way. The first sign for Moses is a sign of our sin and misery, their current predicament. It's a picture. And the second sign is a symbol of grace of what God's going to do. So the judgment you deserve is first, the, the picture of what God's going to do to reverse that judgment is second. All right, so you think of the serpent. The serpent is a symbol of evil in the Bible, but it's also the Egyptian mascot. Right. You ever see a picture of Pharaoh? He's got a giant poisonous, you know, the cobra on his head. Right. And then, so when the, the snake being alive and active was a picture of Israel just being oppressed and enslaved and, and being under the rule of evil. It's also a picture of what they deserved because they worshipped Egyptian gods. They didn't care about the God who made them. And then the sign of reversal of how God's going to fix it is Moses, the servant, grabs the snake by a tail. You never grab a snake by the tail, right? I mean, if you grab a snake by the tail, you're pretty much asking to get bit because it's going to turn around and say, leave me alone. But it immediately becomes a staff, it becomes an instrument in God's appointed leader's hands. It becomes harmless. It's a picture of what God's going to do. He's going to take control over evil. He's going to rule it. He's going to set them free. So you got the sign of what they deserve and then how God's going to reverse it. Leprosy is the same way. It's a picture of sin and unbelief. We're unclean. We're not whole. There's something wrong with us. The sign of grace, the blessing that Israel desperately needs it's God to clean them up, to have their hearts made new, to be made clean again. That, that's what God did through Moses. Start to get the idea of the pattern, because when you come back to our passage in Judges, Gideon remembered his Hebrew Sabbath lessons. If I'm a new Moses, I need a public sign to confirm that you are with me. And so this is why he does two signs, a sign of reversal. It's the same idea. Right, so he picks three things, and this is really cool. Right, he, one, he picks a fleece. It's not arbitrary. He's just staring at an ca- ca- army of camels. It represents the Midianite horde. It represents the Midianites and their camels. The dew represents God's blessing. He's the one who's in charge of nature. You can read that in Genesis 27. May God give you the dew of heaven and bless your land. And then the land represents Israel, God's people. So you come to the first sign of the fleece. What does Israel deserve? Because they have spiritually treated 
God like dirt. They have committed adultery. Right? The first sign of the fleece is God's blessing, the dew, comes down on the fleece itself, who represents the Midianite army. And Israel stays dry. They, they do not have God's blessing. It's a sign that their enemies are being blessed and Israel is being cursed. And so the first sign is a picture showing Israel that they, they deserve God's judgment. They don't deserve the rescue they're about to get. You see that? So what, what it's communicating is, is really insulting. This is the bad news of the gospel. <laughs> Every human being, like Israel, does not love the God who made them. That's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Israel was worshiping the, the ancient gods of money, sex, and relationships. Uh, they, they were called Baal and Asherah. Right. And one of the reasons I think Gideon chose the fleece and the dew is because, well, Baal was the god of farming. And you're trying to get his blessing. You're trying to get Baal to bless the land. And so one of the things Gideon deliberately picked to show is that my God is real, the God the Lord, is the Lord of heaven and earth. He, he picked a sign of dew. The God alone has supernatural control over farming and whether your crops grow. I mean, it, it sounds so strange to us because this is just an ancient cross-cultural journey. But the idea is Gideon said, let me show the people who are going to follow me, God, that you are real. You are, in you are in power. And so the first sign, Israel deserved God's judgment, God's curse. Why should God ever provide for a people who don't care about him in return? And then the second sign, God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse that. I'm going to undo my judgment. The sign Israel desperately needs is to have the dew, God's blessing, come down on the ground, Israel, and let the Midianites be starved and dry. God promises to roll back his judgment and to bless his people by grace and grace alone. And so you're getting this idea that Gideon's a lot smarter than he looks. <laughs> I mean, he's acting in faith. He knows his Bible, and God graciously gives public signs to scared people to say, here is my will, follow Gideon. And that's exactly what happens. 32,000 men show up to follow Gideon into battle. They come crawling out of their caves. They face their fear. They take the risk of faith to go fight an army that's bigger and stronger, all because of the word of God that came through these two public signs. And I know that was a long journey if you're not uh, familiar with the Bible. You could say that that's really interesting. <laughs> Good for Gideon. What about me? Enter Jesus. <laughs> it's the same pattern. Right? Jesus had a public confirmation that God was with him. It was his baptism. Right? Where we see, we see the sign of obedience that God is with Jesus. It says the Holy Spirit came down like a dove when Jesus was into the water and a voice from heaven spoke, This is my son, my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. It's very similar to Moses' burning bush experience. Only Jesus wasn't afraid because he was fully loved and delighted in because he was the perfect one. But how is Jesus, God's servant born 
to save God's people from their sins, going to convince people who do not like him and do not trust him to follow him? That's the question we have today, right? How is Jesus going to convince you that he's real, that, that you can, the invisible realm is out there, that God is out there? How is, how is he going to convince you the, visibly to change and make Jesus the center of your life? Well, he gives two signs. The first sign is a sign we all deserve, the cross, where God's perfect, beloved son who did God's will, whose delight was to do God's will, who shows us exactly what your will be done on earth as it is in heaven looks like as a person, was judged, was cursed, was forsaken to the point of death on a cross. It's a public sign. And it's also, show, all it's doing is showing us our current sin and misery. It's, it's convicting it's saying we are suffering under the, the, the wages of sin is death. I mean, the, that's the current rate of death of everyone in this room is one to one, everyone in this world, because we've abandoned the Lord of life and tried to live without him. But the, the promise is it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the bad news. God promises to roll back his judgment, and that's pictured for you in the resurrection where God's beloved son is raised from the dead on the third day to new life, life eternal. It's the sign of the blessing that we all need desperately. For our justification that we've been talking about with the kids, to have God say to you, here's the clothes you do not yet fit in, but I am going to treat you now and forever as if you had never done anything wrong. You were a law keeper. All that through faith in Christ. Jesus was raised for our justification, says Paul in Romans 4. Right. But it's also the, the promise of a new life, a new body, a, a he, that heaven is real, a new creation. I mean, Jesus rose from the dead and he had a, a body that was not recognizable because it was like him, but it was different. The people, they didn't have the spiritual eyes to see him, and that's what we read in the resurrection accounts. They see him, and it takes a moment to adjust, to see that he's real. He does things that are inexplicable. So part of the promise of, of the resurrection is one day, if you, the blessing we all need is a body that will not die, a body that will be able to live in a world that will not fade away and will not fail you, uh, a world where sorrow and suffering will sigh, uh, Sorrow and suffering will flee and will not be welcome. It's the blessing we all need. So the good news of Easter, it's the Christian fleece. It's Jesus' fleece that he's calling you and I to believe. It's a better fleece than Gideon because Jesus doesn't just call you to obey. He already treats you like you have already obeyed if you would come to him in faith. And then he says, follow me. And keep my commandments. And here's, here's part of my commandments. Love one another. Be unified as I have loved you. See, in the modern world, this is, what, this is what God gives us. This is your public sign that's calling you who are afraid to commit to follow Jesus. It's, there is real imp empirical, historical evidence. It's not like a science experiment. We're talking about history. We have more reason to believe this is true history than in any other ancient historical document. 
I mean, C.S. Lewis, as the professor is so fond of saying, when you read the Gospels, it's like you're reading modern fiction in terms of storytelling. Right? He says, if, except that, that kind of genre that has that kind of detail hadn't been invented yet for like 2,000 years. So either this is real and true, and, and, and it reads like something that is real and true. As a literature expert, he says, if you can't see that, that somebody would have made that up 2,000 years before anyone else, <laughs> then you simply haven't learned how to read. He's a professor, so he's got to get that jab in there. <laughs> so the point is, the cross and resurrection is God rolling back by grace, reversing his just judgment on you and I. And the, for the cross, for God to roll back his judgment, somebody has to pay, and it's Jesus, the sinless one, becoming sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is declared guilty so that we might be declared not guilty. Jesus is shamed, crucified, brought outside the city, forsaken by God, going through hell itself so that we could have our shame turned to praise through faith in him, brought into the kingdom, no longer an outsider, into a world and a community of faith, a world of love, with God as our father, who loves us like his son, with Jesus as our older brother, who died for us, and with the Holy Spirit, who makes that real and personal to you. And how do you know that's true? The resurrection. Jesus is alive. Death was rolled back. The judgment is gone. He, it was buried. When Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day, he did not walk out alone. All who believe walked out with him. That's why Paul would say, if Jesus is not raised, we're just wasting our time here. It's just a giant, pathetic, miserable waste of time because it's just an empty hope. It's not real. But if he is alive, that changes everything. I love the imagery from Gideon's fleece. This is going to help us. Of the dry ground and the dew. What would it look like if God's blessing, his dew, fell in your life? You know what it looks like when dew soaks a desert? Have you ever seen the, 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 the nature documentaries? Right, what was dead and what looked dead and appeared like it had no hope at all, all of a sudden becomes green and things that have been buried long underneath come to life. I mean, heaven above makes the dry, dead ground come to life. That's the promise of the gospel. It's Isaiah 35. God says, Strengthen your weak hands, make firm your feeble knees, say to those who are anxious, Don't be afraid, your God will come. And how are you going to know he's going to come? Well, this is what it's going to look like. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. All these miracles which Jesus did, it's like he was reversing everything sad. And then it says it's going to be like waters breaking forth in the wilderness, streams, rivers in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground springs of water. And those God loves will come to his city and return with singing. Everlasting joy will be on their heads. And sorrow and seeing shall fly away. <laughs> See, that's all public. When you read the Gospels, it's like for a brief moment, everything that, uh, everything that sin had destroyed, God rolled back for a moment in that, that plot of land in Israel. It's a sign to say, heaven is real. Because John says, if we had written everything down that Jesus did, I'm sure the books... All the books in the world couldn't contain the miracles that he did. I mean, it's like everywhere Jesus went, illness was gone. 
death was overcome, swallowed up. That's the Jesus who was raised, who says, follow me, keep my commandments. So you may still have questions as we're going to finish up here. What about God's will? How do I know exactly what Jesus wants me to do? Well, Gideon didn't need someone to tell him. He had God audibly tell him. And we don't need a fleece to figure out the nitty-gritty details because that's what the scriptures are for. Right? It just says, love God and love your neighbor. And it, it does go into some of those details. Right? How do you know who you should marry? Well, for the Christian, it says you should marry a believer. Should I forgive that person who harmed me long ago? Well, Jesus said forgive, 70 times 7. What about the people who hate me? My enemies. Well, Jesus said, love your enemies. What should I do with my money? Well, it's not your money, it's God's money. (laughs) And Jesus is now the model. Meditate on the one who was rich but became poor for your sakes so that you might be rich in him. I mean, you go through the scriptures and it tells you how to live. But the reason to do those things is because the resurrection is true. So here's the Christian fleece for you. I'll use Jesus' words and then one of the witnesses. John 6, here is God's will, that everyone would look at Jesus the Son and believe in him and have eternal life, and you will be raised on the last day. It's God's will. Trust Jesus. Uh, Colossians 1, Paul would say that it, what used to be a mystery, God's will, now it's been made known, it's been revealed. and It's in Jesus in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So God's will is to trust Jesus and to grow in your knowledge of Jesus and spend your life doing so because he's never boring. And if you're trying to figure out the Bible and how to live, I mean, what we're being told is start with the public signs. Start with the death and resurrection. Most modern people, we want to look at the Bible and, and say, I don't agree with God's system of morality. Long before we've ever wrestled on whether or not Jesus is actually alive meaning you're laying out a fleece for God declaring that he must agree with you for you to change and follow him. And what Jesus is saying, if I'm alive, if the resurrection is true, you have to follow me because I'm the Lord of, I'm the God, I am the king that God has put in charge. I'm not your butler, I'm a Lord. (laughs) I want to leave you with this final picture and then we'll sing and celebrate. What was the effect of the fleece? Or Gideon's fleece gathered a group of people and they were unified, ready to take on the world. Or, well, a literal army, physically. And that was impressive. When you had four out of the 12 tribes in the days of the judges where everything just went wrong and they came together and they took a risk of faith, that was impressive. But what about the public fleece of the cross and resurrection? What effect has that had? Well, it has brought together people all across the globe this morning who are praising Jesus because he is alive. It has gathered together the most diverse group of people you will find on the planet. I mean, there are people right now, well, they probably have already done it, in Vietnam and China. In Vietnam, they're whispering Christ is alive because they don't want to get caught. But You will find churches in the Middle East, you will find Christians singing and dancing in Africa. You will find charismatics in Latin America. Our Presbyterians are dancing and clapping in Brazil. Right? We're allowed to do that. <laughs> I mean, 
It's a global worldwide effect that have all rallied at just as God predicted when the son of David, the root of David, would show up. It's like a banner held high that draws the nations to this Jesus because it was a public sign. G.K. Chesterton says this, if I found a key on the road and discovered that it fit and opened a particular lock at my house, I would most likely assume it was made by the lockmaker. And so if I find a set of teachings set out in pre-modern oriental society that has proved itself of such universal validity that it has fascinated and satisfied millions of people in every century, including the best minds in history and the simplest hearts, that it has made itself at home in virtually every culture, inspired masterpieces of beauty in every field of art, and continues to grow rapidly and spread and assert itself in lands where a century ago the name of Jesus was not even heard. If such a teaching so obviously fits the locks of so many human souls and in so many times and so many places, are they likely to be the work of a deceiver or a fool? Or is it more likely that they were designed by the heart maker? What Chesterton's saying is if so many people have responded in faith and been convinced by this public, real event, the resurrection, And it's transformed them, and they said, oh my goodness, this is what makes me more me, because Jesus is real. It's because Jesus was designed by the one who made us. So, go and learn God's will for your life, uh, trusting in the public fleece that Jesus laid down for you, the cross and resurrection, which was all promised long ago in the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would uh, give us eyes to see the truth that Jesus is alive and we would rest and rejoice in the work that he is doing as he is rolling back and undoing the judgment that we have brought upon ourselves. Help us to rejoice that we are forgiven, accepted, and, w- and we are on an unstoppable journey towards the new heavens and new earth if we are found in Christ. If those who are struggling to see this sign, Lord, I pray you would help answer their questions that they would learn to pray, Lord, if you are true, show me that Jesus is alive. Um, So bless bless your church as you have promised. And uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.